Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Thank you, worship team, and uh, I hope you had the opportunity to worship your great God this morning, and uh, isn't it good to be in the Lord's house this morning? Yeah. Amen. Well, we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a book written 2,500 years ago, and yet it still has certain application today, not just in a life, but in a culture, in a family, in a business, in a career, and in this church. And we can learn valuable information from this guy, a real man, 2,500 years ago named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, had a calling on his life, something very particular, something very specific. And his calling on the surface seems a little bit routine, to rebuild a wall, hang its gates. But it's bigger than that because the gates and the wall represent more than just a physical construction building project. You see, the walls represented fortification of God's people. It represented power. It, it represented God's presence. It represented God among humanity. You see, God had called a particular people, the nation of Israel, to be his people, who he would introduce himself through to this world, and it is the nation of Israel. On top of that now, God had selected a particular spot on the globe, a very a very uh, 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 particular place that he had blessed, and it's called Jerusalem. And Jerusalem represented God. It was the spiritual apex of all the world. It is where God touched down on this planet. It is ultimately where the Messiah would come. And so when he's building these walls, it's making a statement not just to the surrounding nations and the world, but it's making a statement to the real enemy, Satan himself. That we will not go away. We are going to be here because God has a calling on our life. Now listen, sometimes when we read biblical narrative, we say, well, that's cool. God used a guy named Nehemiah. It's cool to be Nehemiah. Okay, that's neat. God used Abraham and Sarah. That's neat. Okay, God used Moses. Okay, that's cool. Okay, God uses, God uses, God uses. Spin it to the New Testament. Okay, God used John and, and Matthew and, and God used Mary and God uses these people. But listen, God is no respecter of persons. Tell your neighbor, God has called you. Tell him. He has a calling on your life that is not entirely different than the calling placed on Nehemiah's life. And it is this, God is calling you to represent him before the enemy in a lost and dying, hell-bound world. Now, sometimes we don't like that. That doesn't sound good, okay? It's not user-friendly. Because we say, well, I, we live in the Bible, Bell, man. Most people will tell you they're Christian. It don't matter what they tell you, okay? What matters is what Jesus has done to them or not, okay? That's all that matters. In fact, the Bible says, broad is the way to destruction and narrow is the way and few there are who find it. It means this. Most of the people in the world are not dying in Jesus going to heaven. Most of the people in the world are dying separated from God, far from God, lost in their sin, without forgiveness, without grace, without a relationship with God. And they'll spend eternity separated from God. So your calling and the calling that I have on my life and the calling of this church is more than just building build, uh, buildings, hanging out with Christian folks to be encouraged. We're on a rescue mission, penetrating darkness and delivering them into the kingdom of light. Now, that's just bigger than us, and it's cool. It's cool. You see, sometimes we think, well, I go to church. Yeah, Jesus, I'm, Jesus saved me. You know, it becomes a little flat. Well, if your spiritual journey is flat... It's not God's fault. And it's time you inject some reality that it's bigger than you can possibly 
understand. And so there's a simple rule, though. When God places a calling on your life and God puts you to work, okay, the devil puts his minions to wreck, okay? He wants to wreck the work that God has called you to be a part of. And it has never changed. It's been this way since the beginning. So when it, when it happens, when the enemy comes to attack your spiritual journey, the calling upon your life, you can choose to cower down against it. In other words, just to fail and to cash in the chips. Or you can choose to grow a spine, stand and look, call the enemy who he is, live for Jesus, and push back into the enemy camp. Now, there's a phrase that you can use to help you do that. It's this, get thee behind me. Say that with me. Get, say it again, get thee. Now, here's why. Because in your life, when you pursue God, when you have a relationship with God through Jesus' son, Jesus, Jesus should be the thing that that captures your attention because you understand the greatness of who he is. You, you, you can't get around the reality that he came to earth to die for you. And trust me, I know some of you. It amazes me. He died for you. Okay? You know what amazes me more than him dying for some of you than I know? It's the fact that he died for me. And when, when I just, when that consumes me, that God, the God who whispered all of existence into place would choose to come and die for my sinful condition to offer me life and hope, it just kind of wrecks me. It kind of captivates me. So when we get that, where we have a vision of the greatness of the resurrected Jesus on our behalf, all of a sudden, when the enemy comes into our business and he gets in front of us with this lure that he dangles because he watches your life and he sees what your personal proclivity is, what your sin choice is, and he dangles this lure in front of you and it, all of a sudden it seems to trump the greatness of the view of the resurrected Jesus, we have a choice. We can bite the lure and dive in and get away from our calling. Or we can say, hey, I see who you are. I see your lure. I see what you're doing. Get thee behind me because you are obstructing my view of the greatness of Jesus, my king. Now, see, and you say, well, that sounds a little easy. You know why? It's that easy. When we get Jesus in our life where he's supposed to be, the wiles, the schemes, the tactics of the enemy pale in comparison to the greatness of Jesus. Now, there's people in here right now who live a defeated Christian life, spineless, apathetic, miserable. Now, I can say that because I walked in those shoes. There's nothing. The only thing that compares to being lost and undone and separated from God in our sinful condition is claiming Christianity and being defeated in it. Jesus didn't die to give you a defeated salvation. He died to give you a victorious salvation that looks like abundant life, full and free on this earth. Sometimes we say, man, when we get to heaven one day, it's going to be awesome. Well, that's fine, and it will be. But it should begin the moment that the resurrected king of the universe comes into your life. In Nehemiah's world, he was at this crossroads because God had a calling on his life to rebuild these walls, to represent spiritual fervor in the nation of Israel. He had a project, make Israel great again. Yeah, I can imagine if they would have printed hats, he'd had MAGA hats on, okay? And everybody would have said, hey, get the MAGA hat. Yeah, don't you come up here getting the MAGA hat. Thank you, say, oh, you're so good. You're my hero for the day. You were going to let that happen. Right there, love you. Now, they would be wearing MAGA hats and then all these people be raising cane. Yeah, you need to, you, you, that's all about Israel. What about the rest of the world? You know what I'm talking about? You, anybody watch the news lately? Okay. That's what it looks like. He, he had a, a calling to make it great. And so he chose to say, get thee behind me at every turn. Join me in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Gesh, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Here's what happens. He's almost finished with this wall, a couple miles long. Listen, 40 feet tall, 8 feet wide at the top. 
chariots could pass on the top. It's got guard gates. It's an incredible piece of structure built in 52 days. That's what, when God does something, he does it big. And that's what has happened. And so it's almost completed. Man, the enemy realized, man, if they get this thing completed, it's, we're really going to have a tough go at it moving forward. And so Nehemiah's just ready for the ribbon cutting. I mean, he's like, call W-A-T-E, man, tell them to send the camera crew. Because we're getting ready to open this fortified city. It has been restored, man. We're back to where it is that God wants us to be. That's where he's at. And I want to tell you, when you have a work of God, the devil has a wreck to throw at it. So listen what happens. Number one, another tactic of the enemy is distraction. Everybody say distraction. Here's what... Here's what happens in verse 2. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come and let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. It's about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. But, Nehemiah says, they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? So four times they sent me this same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Now, here, here's what happens. The enemy presents himself. He, so far he's been a vile enemy. Now he wants to be the friend. If you can't beat him, join him. He says, listen, won't you just come on up to Oh No, you know, and, and we'll just have a conversation. We'll come together with this thing, and we'll help you, and you can help us, and we'll all live happily ever after. Let me tell you something, the world is not your friend. The enemy will never be your friend. The enemy are, is not a friend of those he has captive, let alone those who hates the people who have been adopted into the kingdom of God through Jesus. And, and, and what they thought, they thought, well, if we can get Nehemiah out of his comfort zone, out of his circle, his security blanket, out from where he knows where God has called him. If we can just get him away from his calling for just a few minutes, we can do a work on him, maybe even destroy all that God wants to do in his life. That's the way it is for you. 2,500 years ago this was written. 2,500 years later, we find ourselves here. And God has called you, just like he called Nehemiah, to be engaged in enemy warfare, rescuing captives from the enemy camp, delivering them into the kingdom of light through Jesus' son. And what the world does is he throws us distractions so that we get tangled up in everything under the sun as opposed to what we're supposed to be called, be about our calling that God has placed upon our life. They come in all shapes and all sizes in the spiritual journey. Anybody right now know of a distraction that the enemy has thrown your way and you have taken the lure? You don't have to name it, but anybody just own it? Anybody know you got a distraction? Okay, yeah. And those of you that didn't raise your hand, your distraction is pridefulness and not having a distraction, okay? Because we all have distractions. Because you are real, Christ Jesus is real, the enemy is real, and he will not leave you alone when you are about the calling that God has on your life. Some of us get so far away from the calling, we don't notice the distraction because we're not even close to the calling, so our whole world is consumed by distraction, and we're not even in the middle of the calling. When God calls you, he will empower you to accomplish the calling that he's placed in your life. But so often, man, we just get bogged down. At, at summer camp this week, uh, Clark spoke on the, the parable of the sower. And the sower's broadcasting seed, man. And some of it's landing on fertile soil, and it, it germinates and produces fruit. And, 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 and that's what, who we're, we want to be. That's who Christ wants us to be. And then some of it lands on hard soil, like rocky soil. And Clark made a great point. He said, that's, that's the people who hit hard times in their life. And they just kind of turn their back on God because they feel like maybe I've got this hardship and God's turned his back on me. And so th th that hardship comes and, 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 and the seed doesn't produce like it should. But then there's another one. <clears throat> it is the soil that, that is consumed by weeds. And... And it's just hard for the true seed to germinate and produce. I'm a yard guy. I love, I, I love cutting grass. Now, that sounds weird. But if I'm cutting grass, the lawnmower's running. Kendra can't ask me no questions. I'm surprised she don't come out with a sign, you know, you know 
question on it, you know, because she's a question asker. She wants to be in the know, okay? And sometimes I don't know, so I mow, okay? Now, I'm a, I'm a yard guy, and, and, and my yard, I can, I, I'm serious. I tell, you come to my house, it's striped. Why I care that my yard is striped, I do not know, okay? Probably because somebody striped their yard and it looked cooler than mine. Now I've got to have a striped yard, okay? But here's the thing. You can broadcast seed at the wrong time of year. You can just broadcast seed, don't take care of the weeds, and the weeds will choke out the seed that you're trying to get to grow. So you have to do something about the weeds in that yard for the, for the true seed to do what it's supposed to do. It's the same with your calling. When the weeds of distraction come into your life to choke out the seed, you've got to call it what it is, push through it, tell it to get thee behind me because it's messing up my view of what's most important. Get thee behind me and press on in the calling that God has placed in your life. Now, this whole idea of distraction has been, is not new. In fact, it happened in chapter 3 of this book. Chapters 1 and 2, man, we have a perfect world where people are going to live forever. Walking naked and unashamed, dominion over everything. Walking and talking with God in an intimate relationship. Chapter 3, about page 2 and a half or 3, chapter 3 starts. And the rest of the book, God is trying to repair what we messed up in the third chapter of our history account. And you know how we messed it all up? Distraction. Adam and Eve, it was great, man. But then the serpent comes in. He says, hey, guys, I mean, did God really say you can't have any of that? He's holding out. See, they got distracted. And then after they got distracted, they got confused. After they got confused, they bit the lie, and they missed the calling that God had for them as the first man and woman on this planet. So we got to practice pursuing clarity and focus and, and calling from God. Of Philippians 3, Paul said it well. Now, we, said, we, we saw last week, you know, Paul said, made the, the Dr. Seuss passage. Why do I do what I don't want to do, what I do want to do? That's not what I do and all that. And even, and Paul got it. But there's some stuff Paul says that, that he just nails it. I mean, he goes right to the, to, the, to the center of the target. Philippians 3, verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded. Your translation may say, but one thing I do. This is really cool. He says, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what he says? He says, I may be a part of a lot of stuff. I may be supporting myself by making tents on the side, which is what he did. I may be traveling. I may be hanging out with the, with the high and mighty. I may be hanging out with the lowly. But at the end of the day, when the dust settles, this one thing. I do. We need to get back to that where pursuing Christ and righteousness and his righteousness and our holiness in our living is the one thing. This one thing I do. So no matter what the enemy says, no matter what flashy lure he throws my way, get thee behind me. I got this thing. And this thing is a call from the God who created me. And it's bigger than me, bigger than you, bigger than the enemy. And so this one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to pursue this call. Nehemiah said this, he says, I know you're wanting me to come to oh no, so I'm telling you oh no to oh no, all right? He said, he said, listen, why? Because I'm doing a great thing right here. I love that word. I'm a part of a great thing right here. You're a part of something great in your spiritual world. The fact that God, the creator and sustainer of all things, would come and give you a personal encounter with him, and want to move you to a different place that you know not, let you experience things that you've never experienced, being something a part of something bigger than yourself, he says, your calling is a great thing. And so when the enemy comes throwing all of his distraction, you need to say, get thee behind me. I am not coming down from this project because this is a great thing that I'm a part of. I love knowing that no matter what I choose to try to accomplish in this life, it, there's nothing that trumps the greater calling that God has placed in my life. When I was just a boy and he called me into the kingdom, nothing greater than that for me. 
When I was a young man and God called me into ministry, <clears throat> nothing greater than that. And I haven't always done it well, and I don't do it well sometimes today. But in those moments, in those seasons where I get the fact that there's nothing greater than the calling of God in your life, when I get that, that's where life happens. That's where the goodness hangs out. So tell your neighbor, beware of distraction. Number two, he's not distracted. Nehemiah says, I ain't doing that. Stupid, I ain't doing that. I got something bigger and better right here. Number two, he says, okay, fine. You're not listening to my invitation to, oh, no. Now I'm going to move it to number two, number two tactic, defamation. He, he will defame you if he can't distract you. Listen to what happens in verse 5. Then the fifth time after four knows to Ono, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter and in which was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says it's true that you and the Jews are plotting a revolt and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to the reports, you are about to become their king and have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem that there is now a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come and let us meet together. Now, here's the thing. He, you know what he said? He says, man, everybody, everything knows exactly what you're doing. It's all, we, we're on to you, Nehemiah. And the word is out on the street. And ultimately, when the king finds out about it, you're done. He wants to defame you. Now, Nehemiah hadn't done any of that stuff. But he uses this word. He says, it's reported among the nations. Does anybody ever say to you, you know what? Everybody says this. Yeah. Everybody believes this. I've dealt with it. Joe, he's not here. I can talk about it. Joe says, Joel, everybody wants us to turn the music up. <laughs> I'm saying, Joe, everybody doesn't. In fact, I could tell you everybody wants to turn it down, and it would be a lie. Everybody doesn't. Joe doesn't. Okay? Stop using words like that. Everything, every time, everybody. Have you ever had conversations? You know what? Everybody, everybody's saying this. You turn on the television. In the political world, the whole world wants us to be a socialist nation. All of America wants, us, wants socialism. If you, if you watched that silly debate the other night, I'm not a political guy. I watched about enough of that debate to make me nauseous. About five minutes. Okay, silliness. We live in a world of silliness, man. And, and, and so, so when 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 that happens, be real careful. When somebody says everything or every time, uh, everyone, beware. They staring at you, probably lying, because it's not. It's never all inclusive. Okay. And so this is what this is what uh, they, the the leader Samballot says to Nehemiah. Every all the nations, man. They got a report out on you. Not only that, but Gesh, Geshem. He says it. I don't know what he brought to the table, but Geshem trumps all the nations. Even he says it's true. Okay? When, when the enemy can't distract you, he will defame you. Anybody ever been defamed, lied upon? Man, it's a good feeling, isn't it? <laughs> they said it. I have people sometimes come in and, and they say things to me and it's not even true. They say, you said this. Somebody told me you said this. Well, that's wonderful. I never said anything like that. Now, we have to be very careful about what we say. And I was reading a comment, uh, commentator this week, Chuck Swindoll, and he says, how do we, how do we uh, push back when we hear stuff that w that's probably not true? Gossip, lies, defamation. He said, in most of our conversations, this would be something good to incorporate. Whenever somebody starts to tell us something on somebody else, I'm not talking about a confession of their own, or it could be in that case, Simply look at them and say, right in the middle of it, man, the juiciest part. Man, that's incredible. Can I quote you on this? And when you say that, man, it's like deer in the headlights. Oh, you know, what do you mean? Well, can I, I man, that's good stuff. I'm going to tell it. Can I use your name as a source? Mom's the word. And then he said this, and also, next time you're telling somebody something, think in your mind, do I want to be quoted on this? Okay. And it'll take away a lot of that junk that we say. Anybody gossip this week? Raise your hand. <laughs> I was looking, yes, <laughs> guilty as charged. I raised my hand too, and the rest of y'all did too, and you didn't raise your hand, so I'm going to gossip on you today. Okay, just, you know. We got to be careful about defamation because it's real. It is very real. Now, John 8, 44, it says, you people 
are from your father, the devil. And you want to do what your father desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning and does not uphold the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he lies, he speaks according to his own nature or his native language. Because he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. You get the point? The enemy is a liar. Tell your neighbor, the devil is a lie. So everything he says is a lie. And, 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 and last week we talked about the enemy within. Do not allow yourself to be found playing the part of the enemy within. Lying. And it's so subtle, man. It slips in. So subtle sometimes. Revelation 12.10, John identifies the accuser in the second half of 10. And he says, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them day and night before our God, has been thrown down. Now, right now, if you're a child of God, there is an enemy who is accusing you before Yahweh, the true and living God. He's accusing you. Of, of your motives, of every form of unholiness in your life. He's making accusations to God against you. You remember the story of Job. Job's, man, everything's good in Job's life. You know, he had a foxy wife, had a bunch of kids, had a bunch of animals, had, had wealth. Man, it was good. And, and, and Satan goes before God and he says, yeah, you've given everything to Job. No wonder he loves you. No wonder he acts right, because you've given him all the stuff. You start taking away his stuff, and he'll reject and turn his back. See, he's accusing Job, and, and he, today he's accusing you. And so we need to be aware. Now, we also need to be aware, as I said a minute ago, not to play the part of the enemy within, where all of a sudden, we as children of God who are saved begin to gossip, defame, and lie, and spread rumors on each other. Anybody in here... <coughs> Excuse me. Ever spread a rumor? <coughs> me and Brian. That's good. Thank you, Brian. I'm with you. Okay? <coughs> Most all of us have. Don't play that part. God hates the tongue that lies. In Proverbs chapter 6, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, even seven <coughs> that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, the hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who spreads discord among family members. Three of the seven things that he hates come out of your mouth. Isn't that amazing? Everybody stick your tongue out. Man, some of y'all got an ugly tongue. Put them things back up, okay? Everybody's got one, and if we're not careful... Man, they do the damage. You've heard of the illustration? You can take a, a bag of 1,000 pounds of feathers. And you can take them up in an airplane at 10,000 feet. And you can take that bag and dump them out of the airplane. And all of a sudden you realize, man, I need to get those feathers back. You can land and you can get some of those feathers. But you're not going to get all of them. You'll never get all of them. And it's the same with the things we say. We throw them out there, and sometimes you can go and get that back, retrieve it. But other times, the damage is done. You'll never get it back. So we need to learn to control this thing. James in 3 says it's like this huge ship, man, that's, that's trying to get, uh, maintain on course in, in the middle of storms and huge waves. And it's, navig it, it's navigated by a small rudder. The whole ship. He says it's like a horse, a huge horse, and you simply put a small metal rod in its mouth on a bridle. And you can control this massive, powerful horse by what's in its mouth. And he says it's the same with our tongue. With it, we bless God, and yet we curse others. We can set fires that rage, just like a small flame can set a forest afire. That with our tongues, we can, we can do all of this damage. Now, we've all been lied upon and defamed. I, I, of all the times I'm ever aware that I've been lied about, Probably the one I remember the most, maybe the greatest, uh, several years ago while I was at Second Baptist Church, we were looking at hiring a guy who played the piano. He's really good. He worked a secular job, and we were interested in him doing it part-time. So we contacted him, and he said, I'd love to do that. He said, because right now to support my family, I work my day job, and I play in bars at night, and I'd really rather not be in bars at night playing 
keyboard. And so one day I'm in the gym, and there's another, quote, preacher in there. Quote, brother in Christ. Quote, friend. Quote. And so we get to talking. And I said, yeah, I think we found us a man, a great keyboard player. He goes, oh, really? Who is it? I told him, he goes, hey, we've been talking to him too. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, I said well, his story is amazing. And I told him what I just told you about. He didn't want to play in bars anymore. He goes, yeah, we really couldn't afford him, so we didn't hire him. I said, okay, cool. So probably six or eight months goes by. And this keyboardist comes to me, who's a really nice guy. And he goes, I, I really need to ask you a question. I said, what's up, bro? He says, why did you tell the preacher down the street that he should be glad he didn't hire me because I'm an alcoholic and in my battle on alcoholism I need, didn't need to be in the bars anymore I said uh, I have no idea what you're talking about he said that he said yeah I said I want you to look right in my right in my eyes man just stare into my eyes I want you to hear this okay have I ever said anything negative to you no have you ever heard me say anything negative about anybody else he said, no. I said, do you think for any reason I believe what you just said is true? He said, no. I said, then here's the bottom line. The devil is a liar and he's real. And he sometimes takes up residence in people <laughs> and he ain't here. Okay? I said, do you believe me? He said, I believe you. I said, are you really sure you believe me? He said, I believe it. I said, okay. So the next day, I go to the gym. Preacher's on a treadmill. He should have been out on the street running where he was going somewhere, not in one place. They had this little red key on a rope. You know what I'm talking about? Emergency stop. Pink. Hey, man, what's up? That's how he's always so friendly. I said, I got a question for you, man. I said, why did you tell this person that I said that they wanted to get out of playing in bars and not because they were an alcoholic? He looked at me, and he said, because that's what you said. I said, oh, time out. I said, the devil is real, and he's a liar, and he has taken up residence in one of us, and it ain't me. And I said, you're full of the devil, and you know that's a lie. And if you don't know, it's because the enemy has captured you. I said, here's your emergency stop. And I walked away. Now, here we are. Ten years later, probably, his ministry's gone, his marriage is gone, his family's gone. Okay? Why? Because was he called at one time to be a pastor? I'm convinced he was. But because he walked away, got tangled up in the distractions, away from the calling, he decided defamation of somebody else who had a calling upon, upon their life was the right thing to do. Never play the part of the enemy within. Number three, dismay. After he defames you, he'll frighten you. Dismay. Verse 9 says, they were all trying to frighten us. And they were thinking their hands will be too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Fear is not of God. The only fear that is a godly fear is a reverential fear of the greatness of who God is. Outside of that, fear is not from God. Has anybody in here ever been afraid of anything? Raise your hand. Okay, man, there's, that's the most answers I saw all day. Nobody's committed any sin, but we're afraid of everything. Okay, I like it. Fair enough. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go with it. All right, so it will stop you in your tracks. You know, I've shared the story, you know, about the dog. I, I was delivering a newspaper on Sunday morning, and, and my, this older lady wanted her paper on the porch. And so my dad parked at the bottom of the driveway. He didn't have any shoes on, pair of pants, no shirt. He's delivered because the papers were heavy. I was a little kid. And I walked up there, and I walked around the bush, and I was getting ready to throw the paper up on the porch, and she had a collie, man, that turned into a wolf when I'm, you know, and I was like, now you're doing that. So I'm walking down the driveway. My dad said, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm putting it in the mailbox. He said, doesn't she want it on the porch? I said, yeah, but I ain't. there's a dog up there that's mad. He said, go put it on the porch. The dog won't bother So I go back up there, okay. I walked around the corner, and the, dog, the collie's laying there on the porch. I cocked the paper. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Cujo, all right? And I said, I ain't doing it. I walked up. My dad said, give me that paper. Now, keep in mind, my dad's tall and skinny, pants, no shirt. He, he had house shoes on. He, he gave me, got the paper. He goes up there. And he walked around the bush. He goes. <laughs> I did not laugh on the outside. All right? It froze me. The fear of that dog froze me in doing 
kept me from doing what it is I'm supposed to be doing. We were at lake at the lake, and we used to be water rats. We were at the lake all the time, and everybody all wanted to go jump off the rocks. Has anybody ever jumped off a of high rocks at the lake? Okay, then you'll know what this looks like. Hey, man, let's jump off the rocks. And you're looking, thinking, i got to climb a rock to jump into the water. I, it's, it don't, it's not a good idea. But because somebody else did it and was willing to do it first, yeah, you're doing it. Yeah, I'm doing it. All right. And from the water, it looks like the rock is like 10 feet tall. And you climb up there and you look down and it grew because now it's like 110 feet tall. And, and so then you're like, splash the water so I can see where I'm going to hit. You know, like it's a mile away, like you're in the, the, in the atmosphere, left the atmosphere. Okay, and, you, and you'll freeze. You'll just freeze. Steve Widener was telling a story when he was a kid. He went to a, a camp at UT, and, and he was about 11, and he climbed the tallest uh, uh, platform. And when he got up there, he's like, I ain't doing that. And his football coach was at the bottom of the ladder, and he says, you're not coming down this way. You climb up, you're coming down. And so he had to jump. I'm telling you, fear will stop you in your tracks. Listen, I'm a preacher. I ain't, I'm not scared of a whole lot. Do you know what I'm scared of? Handling this well. Sometimes I get a little bit mortified about messing this up. I labor over it. I sweat over it. I pray over it. I'll start today working on next week's message Sometimes I think the Lord's with me and, and I, he's pleased. Other times I think, you know, the flags of heaven are half mass and the angels are weeping. Like, oh, what was that? Okay. I'm scared to death of handling this book because in it is the truth of God, the infallible, inerrant word of God. Okay. And it's terrifying. And sometimes the enemy wants to dismay me with the greatness of this calling and this task. And right in the middle, when I start to believe that fearful lie, it dawns on me. I didn't ask me to preach. I didn't call me to preach. I didn't equip me to preach. I didn't save me to preach. I, 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 I don't, it's not me. He did that to me. So I can say, hey, it's your fault. Okay. You, you call me. You fill me with your spirit. You tell me what you want to say. And so I'm going to be your man the best I can be. And you take all the mess that I present and you just wipe that from the minds of those who hear it and speak into their soul what you would have for them. If not, it'll freeze you in your tracks. And listen, church. Listen, believers. Don't you dare let the devil take from you what God has planted in you. Because greater is he, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he wants you to accomplish your calling in your life. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us a little bit about it. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Cool? Fear is a spirit. It is a demonic spirit that God will not give you. He will overcome what is in you that looks like that. But he's given you the spirit of power of power and love and self-control. So distraction, defamation, dismay are the first three. And we finish with this one. Dilution. Dilution. It says in verse 10, So one day I went to the house of Shimeiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they're coming to kill you. Verse 11, but I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? <laughs> I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. So here's what happens. An insider is hired by an outsider and says, listen, we need to go in the temple because they're coming to kill you. See, Nehemiah was, just, was not just a leader who could build a wall and motivate people. He was a leader who knew God's word and God's ways. He had saturated his life with truth. And so when the enemy came to tempt him to go hide in the temple, first of all, he says, man, what, who am I that I would hide in the temple? 
I mean, I'm God's man. If God's desire is for God's man to be a dead God's man, then so be it. I'm not hiding in the temple. Number two, I can't go in the temple. I'm a layman. I'm not a priest. And the temple is for the priest. And if I go in there, it's sin for me and it brings a judgment from God. I want you to understand, he knew this. If you were the priest who was given the task, selected to, to go into the Holy of Holies, before you went in there, you had to go through all kinds of ceremonial cleansings in preparation because you're going in there where God hangs out. And you better have your business taken care of because if you don't, you will not come out alive. And so because of that, they would take bells and they would sew them in the bottom of the priest's garment. And so then they would take a rope and tie around him and leave the tail end of the rope outside the Holy of Holies. And so if the priest went in, as long as he's doing his business and jingle, jingle, and things are going on, it's good in there. Everything's good. He's still alive because I can hear him jingling. But when the jingling, if the jingling ceased to ring, it's because he went in with unholy hands and an impure heart. And God killed him. And they took that rope and they would drag him out of the Holy of Holies. <laughs> That's how serious it was. And Nehemiah knew that. Now here's the thing. So many times today, the reason we don't know what to do and the reason we get confused about what not to do is because we simply hadn't saturated our life with the truth of what God wants us to do. In the U.S. Treasury, there are people who specialize in finding counterfeiters and counterfeit currency. And the way they determine counterfeit currency is not by checking out counterfeit currency. The way they determine what is real and what is fake is they study the real thing so much so detailed, they look into the real currency that when a counterfeit bill comes in front of them, it's like it's got beacons on it. Ding, 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 I'm not real. And so often we don't recognize the enemy or his ways because we don't know the real thing too well. You see, when you study and you move closer and closer and closer in your walk with God through Jesus, his son, when you saturate your mind and your soul and your life with his word, all of a sudden, the enemies, the counterfeits, the ones that are up close, the ones that are outside, you see them coming. It's like they have a beacon on their forehead. And you want to know what's, some, what's sad? Sometimes in the church, believers play the part just like right here. They play the part of the counterfeit. They act Christian. They speak Christianese sometimes. They do the Christian things. They go to the Christian places. And yet all the while... They get used by the enemy against what God's trying to do. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 addresses it. It says, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will correspond to their actions, ministers of Satan, who appear as ministers of righteousness, false apostles, and deceitful workers. And so, when it comes to what God has called you to do as an individual Christian, as a family, and as a church, there's an enemy who hates the calling that God has upon us. He'll use whatever. There is no right and wrong. There are no barred holds in this match. He'll do whatever it takes to hold you back. Now, the title of the message was Get Thee Behind Me. I didn't write that, didn't create that. Most of what I do, I didn't. But I didn't write that one. That's words of Jesus. In Matthew 16, he taught us how to battle a spiritual warfare against the enemy. He taught us how to be aware of of what was of God and what was of the enemy. On Temptation Mountain, he battled all three temptations with three simple biblical quotes from Deuteronomy. No biggie. And right here, one of his own guys rises up to be used by the enemy. In verse 21, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Peter took Jesus aside. If you're going to rebuke somebody, don't rebuke Jesus. Mistake. It says, far, he said, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Jesus turned and said, and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And right here in a nutshell, we see a picture of how we should battle the things that come in our life that are not of God. When God calls us, sets apart, seals us with his Holy Spirit, sends us out to do his work, there's the enemy waiting. And when the enemy steps in front of us, just like Jesus, because we know Jesus so well, we know the will of the Father so well, when the enemy steps up, we say, I know who you are. Now, you may be packaged in somebody else, but I know who you are, so get thee behind me, Satan, because you're blocking my view of something so much greater than who you think you are. But it will not happen until we have a fresh encounter and a fresh perspective of the greatness of who Jesus is. We live in a world where Christianity sometimes loses its fervor it's like, yeah, you ask your friends or your family, hey, are you a Christian? <clears throat> yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> There's something wrong with that answer, okay? If the answer, are you a Christian, is, yeah, there's something wrong. There is no room in the Christian community for apathy, for lukewarmness, for spinelessness, for miserableness. And I'm not pointing anybody out, I'm, I'm talking about me. I spent some of my years in that world of apathetic Christianity, just not caring. Yeah, I think I'm saved, going to heaven when I die, I, you know, to hell with the rest of the world. I think I got my ticket punched. You know, I'm going to live for me some of the time. I'm going to check some religious boxes and go to church. I'm going to act like this when certain people are around. I'm going to morph into the other old me when other people are around. And, and I was a Christian, and I was. I was saved, and I was miserable. Jesus, the God of the ages, did not come to this earth, allow himself to be beaten to unrecognizable, lay himself on a cross to allow spikes to be driven through his hands and feet, allow a crown of thorns to be pressed into his brow, to allow a spear to be thrust into his side. He did not do that so I could claim Christianity Christianity with my mouth and live as if Christ is not alive in me and this book this chapter is about looking at a guy that says I'm not that guy <laughs> I got a calling and it came from God and it doesn't matter who steps in front of me I will focus like a laser on my king and on my calling because I will not let my God down Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have chosen to use the unlovable, to love the unlovable, and to save the unlovable for your kingdom purpose. We thank you, God, that when we deserve nothing, you give everything. We thank you, God, for letting us know the full story that Christianity following you, God, is easy. It's not. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's for the changed-hearted. It's for the heart who, who holds you in it. It's for the heart that pushes beyond what the enemy places in front of them. It's for the heart that says, God, you are bigger than anything in existence. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. You have created me with a purpose and a plan. You knew me before I was born while yet in my mother's womb. You knit me together. 
God, and in that moment in time, you reached into our world and you touched my soul and you invited me into forgiveness. You invited me into grace. You invited me into your kingdom family. And and when I received that, God, my life was eternally changed. And it's in that, God, help me every day to live for you like you would have me live for you. Help me surrender to the calling that you've placed in my life. I don't claim to be able to accomplish anything, God, short of what you accomplish through and in me. So I give you myself. Help me live for you more fully and freely from this day forward. And God, in this very moment right now, there are those in this room who have never had a personal encounter with you through Jesus, your son. It's for that young man. It's for that young lady, for that boy or that girl, that student, for that senior adult. God, in this moment, that they would lay down the running and simply pause and receive what you offer in Jesus, your son. That in this moment, they would say, God, I see it now. You love me in spite of me, and you did something about it through Jesus. I want Jesus to come into my life and forgive my sin. I'm sorry for all that I've ever done from this day forward. I turn from my old ways and I begin my journey walking toward you. Thank you for hearing my sinner's prayer. Thank you for being true to your word and saving me. Seal me with your spirit. I want to be yours forevermore. Help me live for you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Now, if you just prayed that, I want to say congratulations on the greatest decision you've ever possibly made or ever will in all of your life. With every heartbeat you've ever had, that is the greatest decision you could ever make. And I want you to go public with it. See, giving your life to God is not a private matter. It's public. It was in the Bible, and it still is today. So you need to let somebody know. You need to let me or one of our leaders know, and we'll help you move forward in that journey based on that one decision in that one moment of time. And now we have the the awesome opportunity to take communion together. 